You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to get to connect with one of my all-time favorite writers. Uh, Once again, Kyle Mills. I think this is uh, uh, Kyle's 23rd appearance uh, on the podcast. Um, And he's got a brand new book that when you're hearing this, is going to be available everywhere, and it's called Oath of Loyalty. Uh, we were just chatting a minute ago, and we didn't get a chance to connect last year um, when his book Enemy at the Gates uh, came out. But we're going to talk about all that and bring readers up to speed today. Kyle, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Um, y- you know, um, Kyle, we last talked. I think it was the end of 2020, and or the the late summer, early fall of 2020. And, um, you know, a a lot of stuff was going on at the time, and I don't think any of us really had a grasp at at that time, um, you know, where the next couple of years would would take us. Uh, And I know that you and your wife do a lot of traveling and, um, you know, spend some extended amounts of time in the country, outside the country and and things like that. What was it like for you guys, you know, this, this last couple of years? Oh, it was really crazy. I have to say we have been so lucky, though we did just get COVID like three weeks ago, uh, finally. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, for us, in a way, we got really lucky. We uh, were not in Spain where we live part time when, well, we we were there right when it started, but not when it got bad there um, because they took really took the brunt of it at the beginning and uh they had huge lockdowns like really serious lockdowns you couldn't leave your house for like i don't know it's like a month or something you could go to the grocery store and that was about the doctor and that was about it but we had come back to the united states at that point uh and we're in wyoming which was a pretty good place to weather it uh because there's nobody here you know it's not, it's just not a very crowded state so you could still go out and do stuff. I mean, it's pretty easy to go out and never see a soul here. Um, just you and the Buffalo. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, go out and backcountry ski or something. And so and we'd get together with our, that's how we'd get together with friends. You know, you go skiing or something, we'd be any six feet away from each other. And then at the last minute we were able to get, so we were, we're, I mean, guys, we're technically we're immigrants in Spain. We have essentially green cards, but we were going to lose them. And at the last minute, we managed to get a vaccine. We had to drive through a blizzard and all this for three hours into southern Wyoming. And we, uh, if, and we could get in because we were residents of Spain as long as we were vaccinated. And we... Uh, we, we packed up all our stuff and we rented our house out and it was just the most, it was really scary because you had to take a COVID test to get on the plane. And if we didn't pass, our residency was going to expire. So we were basically like 
either we pass or our entire next year we're going to be living out of this rental car with four bags because everything else is packed away the house is rented all that stuff so we did we passed and got on a plane and made it back to spain that is wild um and i know that a lot of people um have uh, have kind of dodged the the idea of covid in their fiction and you know i've I've heard arguments both ways one we all live through it we don't want to read about it um i i get that um other people you know have included some of the things we went through but in sort of veiled ways and you know as kind of a catharsis to to kind of work through this thing that we've all been through together um uh, you know, other folks are just like, I, I would never touch that. Um, you know, we don't want to read about it. How, how do you feel about included, including something in your books that that we've all experienced? I'm in a little bit of a unique situation in that like three books ago ish. Um, I wrote a book called Lethal Agent that yes. was about a coronavirus. So. That came Thanks out a lot, Kyle. Yeah, I know. Jeez, I I wrote one of I wrote about a big blackout right before the Texas blackouts too. I, I'm, uh, I'm I'm on a streak. Um, so in the in the rap verse, you know, the universe that surrounds Mitch Rap, yeah. I had already really discussed, you know, the potential for a big coronavirus outbreak. So I think it would have been weird to then immediately go into. You know, he he stopped the plot. Oh, but but everybody's got COVID now. So I decided uh, it didn't really fit in the universe very well, and I've I've not mentioned it at all. Do Do you think you ever will? I don't. Not in certainly not in this series because it is an alternate reality. I mean, right. if I had if I hadn't written Lethal Agent, that would have been. I don't. I'm not sure what I'd have done. I'd have had to sit down with a drink and really think about what I wanted to do with that. Um, but it was, I don't know, it's, it was an interesting time, I guess, if you're looking for like thriller threats, because in a way, the world calmed down. You know, I, yeah, it, it was kind of strange. You know, nobody really wanted to start a war. Nobody wanted to do a mass shooting because, you know, of, of coronavirus. And so I, I think you'd have to build all that in. It would be a little complicated. Yeah. Speaking of, um, you know, having a drink and sitting and, and, and thinking through things, do, do you, when you're beginning a new book, do you have moments like that where you're kind of playing the what if game, um, you know, with maybe things that have been in the news or, uh, you know, things that you've read about and just kind of thinking how this would play out? What What is that? Um, you know, I, I, you and I have talked before about uh, kind of how you view character development and, you know, what you're going to do with Mitch Rapp and, and the crew in each book and how they're going to progress forward. But when you're thinking of plot points and kind of these big stage situations that you're going to drop them into, um, what what is that process like at the beginning? You know, I try to think about it really realistically. You know, my background, strangely, is in economics. And economics is all about taking a bunch of variables and trying to figure out where they're going to go. You know, what if you put all these things together, what's going to happen? And so I'm looking realistically for what's the next threat. And 
like I said, I've done, I've been on a bit of a run. I also wrote a book, Red War, about uh, Russia uh, starting war with Ukraine. So, and that wasn't that long ago. So, you know, I'm constantly, you know, scouring the news and thinking, you know, what could happen next? And if I'm lucky, you know, history doesn't get ahead of me. That's happened to me before. just happened to me with these books, these most recent books. But that's the goal. Because I wanted to feel realistic. You know, that's what Vince did. He had these very, you know, kind of, it's cliche, but it's true. You know, ripped from the headlines, plots. And uh, you, uh, that's what I've always liked about, you know, like reading Clancy and stuff that uh, you thought, oh my God, not only, you know, not only could this happen in the future, it might be happening right now and I don't know it, you know? And uh, that's the feel I want to, I want to impart. So when I come up with a threat and I start thinking realistically, you know, how would this play out? Whether I have to talk to people, you know, who are experts in that area or whatever, or just read up on it more, like how, uh, how would it really play out? And that, you know, a lot of times writes a bunch of your books for you, you, you know, I mean, if, you know, whatever, if the, the, probably the big one was total power, where if the power went out throughout the United States, one, how would you do that? How would you accomplish it? And what would happen to the country and the people in it? You have to, sort of plod along and think about how that would work. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Vince uh, just a minute ago, and and we know that that Vince created Mitch Rap and the the rap verse, um, if you will. Uh, but uh, f- with Oath of Loyalty, how many books is this that you've written in the in the rap series? Uh, that'll be eight. Eight. That is that's yeah. wild because Vince wrote was it twelve or thirteen? Somewhere in there, I was thinking so somewhere between twelve and fourteen. I don't know off the top yeah. of my head. The, the first one, term limits, wasn't a Mitch Rapp book. Yeah, yeah. Well, at this at this rate, you're going to catch Vince um, in in not n- not too distant a future. Um, how do you yeah. feel about? Um, kind of ownership of uh of mitch at this point i mean you've you have written a substantial amount uh in this series and it's got to feel like you you know have as much ownership at this point as anyone you know i definitely feel like i know this character really well i know this character better than any character i've ever created because I never wrote this many books about characters. I tended to, honestly, it's sort of ironic, but I tended to stay away from serious characters when I was writing on my own because they're really hard to write. You know, um, so yeah, I really do feel like I know this character really well. I love this character. I love all the other characters that, you know, run around the universe, you know, Scott Coleman and Irene and Claudia and all these people. Um, but ownership, I would say no. Uh, you know, this is, I, this has always kind of felt like the the ship that Vince built, and I'm captaining it for a while. That's a that's a good way to think of it. I think that's uh, I, I I get that. Um, when uh, you know, talking about how difficult it is to write a series character, because um, you know, on one hand, you need to keep the tension high enough that the reader feels like. Um, 
that this is you know this is serious this this could be life or death there needs to be real jeopardy um but we also kind of assume that next summer uh, you know or early fall we're going to have another Mitch rap book which which kind of works against you for maintaining that kind of tension and the thriller uh, aspect of it. How do you weigh those two things? Uh, yeah, so many problems with writing a series. <laughs> um, to me, there's two kinds of, of sort of thriller character. And, you know, one is one that, you know, in a one-off that you're really worried that, you know, every every scene could be the the death of this character. Um, and that's that's where you get your excitement. To me, and I've compared Mitch to jo- Josie Wales, you know, the Clint Eastwood character so many times. Right. But, you know, you never worried that anybody was going to kill Josie Wales. You just wanted to see how he was going to kill them. Right. right. And it's a, so it's a really different vibe. Yeah. You, you're never sitting there thinking, oh. Man, things look really dire for Mitch. This could be the end of him. Um, it's much more, oh, how's he going to get out? I can't figure out how he's going to get out of this, but I know he is. How, and that's what makes you turn the pages. Well, that's a, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Um, s- your last book, Enemy at the Gates and Oath of Loyalty, feel to me like they are one cohesive story and 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 i know that the the entire series obviously is is a continuation but these two books uh very much feel like uh they were possibly a story split uh into and in in a lot of ways is is that a fair assessment yeah in in a way that is true and vince has done you know like you said it's all one book really i mean the whole series is just one yeah really large book um, and Vince had done it, done the same thing with a few books where the arc was really strong between the, the two. I mean, the, the first book I wrote in the series, The Survivor, I mean, The Last Man, which was the last book he wrote, was very much didn't finish the story. And then, you know, my, you know, completed the story. So with this one, though, <clears throat> it was a little different. It was a little strange. So my goal or my, you know, what I had set out to do was to write a trilogy within the series, an arc that was about the fall of American democracy, you know, from within the, you know, politicians, kind of power hungry politicians started, you know, working their magic and were going to take over America and insert essentially a president for life. And so that I, Again, you know, I like thinking about how you would do these things. Maybe I'm a criminal at heart. And I wanted to think about how would I bring down democracy if I was the president of the United States? However, this is another example. You know, we talk about you want to be at the cutting edge, but you don't want to get ahead of history. So um, I I can't even remember. I think I'd probably finish the first draft or something or getting close when you know, uh, January 6th happened and there was all the talk about a stolen election and all that. And it just felt too on the nose. I really didn't think anybody was going to want to read that book after, uh, after that. And also if you'll ever notice in my books, I never talk about Democrats or Republicans. Those words never really enter into the book. And I didn't, 
people will always try to try to say, well, you're writing about Trump or you're writing about Hillary Clinton or whatever. And it's not true. And I felt like if you, in light of, of January 6th and all that, it looked like I was writing sort of a screed against Donald Trump, which I, you know, really didn't want to do. So I went back and changed it so that it wouldn't be quite so on the nose with the idea that it would be too much to, to change. And that with the next book, which is the one that's about to come out of Oath of Loyalty, uh, I would kind of get out of that. Like I would finish the arc in a way that was very final and the, all the stuff about the fall of democracy would kind of go into the background. That, that's really interesting. Um, the, the way you, you said that, um, you know, that, that people would perceive that you are coming from a certain viewpoint when you're writing the book, the, you know, the thing about, Reading and, and, and novels, uh, especially, is that we read them through our personal lens. And um, whether you have any intention or not, um, we will interpret what we're reading through uh, our worldview in, in a lot of ways. And uh, when you know that there's a hot button issue, that, that there's a topic that's that's going to, you know, people are going to come down one way or another and you know that it's going to be divisive like that. Um, how do you handle that? I mean, I, I know that you decided to kind of dial back for a while and then continue that story later. But does has that happened before where um, you know that, that a, a certain thing is going to be divisive and there's just no way around it? You just have to kind of put out what you're going to put out. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time because I do like – I mean, I do like to get into some controversial areas. So uh, you just, you kind of dance that middle line, you know, you're on the fence and you stay there. And and to me, the biggest compliment is when I get, you know, I'll write a book and I'll get an email and somebody will just rage against me because, you know, I, you, you were putting down Donald Trump, you know, this is a big thing about Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. And then like an hour later, I get one saying, you were putting down Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama is just all about them. And so you're exactly right. I think the old saying is, you know, no two people have ever read the same book. And yeah. that is absolutely true. I mean, you can, I can put two people together that think, you know, this, this presence, Anthony Cook, that, that are absolutely certain that I was reading that Anthony Cook is just Donald Trump. And I could find the same number of people that think, you know, it's Hillary Clinton. So that's what I go for because I don't, I'm really uninterested in partisan politics and these are global themes, you know, I mean, these are, you know, democracies fall, you know, I think James Madison said that all, I think it was him that said all democracies eventually commit suicide, yeah. but it, sometimes it comes from the right. Sometimes it comes from the left. The important thing to focus on is the falling democracy, not who's doing it's like, it's like worrying about who the politics of the guy who has a gun to your head, you know, just it's the trigger <laughs> is the problem. The bullet. Right. <laughs> Anthony Cook. Wow. What a great character. Um, what, what were you thinking when you when you came up with that character? He's an interesting character because I, I've always had a hard time with complete megalomaniacs. Because, yeah. I, you know, the farther you get away from yourself, 
the harder it is to, you know, really inhabit a character. Sure. Um, and I, I, there are so many people in the world who crave power for the sake of power. And I've never been one of those people. I think to me, power just seems like a ton of trouble. Like being president of the United States, I feel like it would be the worst job in the world. It doesn't pay very well. It's just a ton of work. Everybody's always criticizing you. Why would anybody in the right want mind want that job? And but so you have to, you know, you have to kind of inhabit that character and think, why does he want this? Why does he just want power? And you know, you see examples of it all over the world. I mean, you know, I, I mean, most countries are probably run by people like that. So uh, it was fun to create him and to create. What I was really looking forward to doing was creating this kind of roadmap, like how would you do it? How would you bring down American democracy in 200 odd years of, of democracy um, and install yourself as a permanent figure in the White House? Um, but unfortunately, it, did, it, didn't come, it, it didn't come to pass, but you know, that, that, that kind of thing happens. It's happened to me before where I've had to write, rewrite things because um, history got ahead of me. Well, politics and politicians uh, get a lot of the headlines, but one of the things that I loved about Enemy at the Gates is that you also played with this idea of the people that are not elected um, and some of these corporations that are really huge players in in the way that uh, that things happen in the world, and and they're not responsible to anyone in the same way that our elected politicians are. Um, wh- where did that idea come from to to kind of you know steer in, into those waters? Well, I've I mean a few places really, but I, I've always been one of probably the most influential writers on me. Um, well, well, I should say one of the most, a couple of the most influential books are, uh, 1984 and Animal Farm, maybe even more Animal Farm than 1984, which is more, a more famous book. And what I loved about Orwell is that he understood that it takes two to tango kind of, you know, there's, he never, there's a tendency to say, okay, Anthony Cook's taking over. He's a horrible person and everybody else is the victim, but it's not really the way it works. You know, the victims in these kind of allow it and, and in many ways promote it. So, um, I don't like to, I think it's really unfair to say, oh, you know, say in Russia, Vladimir Putin, what a terrible guy, but the Russian people are lovely. Well, they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're really not. They, they support this guy. It's not, he doesn't, you know, run around the country uh, beating people up who disagree with him personally. I mean, th- there's a, a big machine behind him. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to portray that as president of the United States, he can bestow a lot of favors on people and also just the rank and file, you know, will they get out there and cheer and go to those things and they want him to become the dictator. You know, and it's been that way for, well, probably all of human history. I mean, if you think about, you know, the old Kings and stuff and the way they live versus the peasantry, but the peasantry, many of them loved them. So, um, I like it. It's a little Orwellian, I guess, in, in a way, but I, I like to portray all sides of that. 
So if if we've established that enemy at the gates and oath of loyalty are a a smaller arc within a bigger arc, where um, where did we leave um, the story at the end of enemy of the gates, and where did we pick it up in the new book? So that's interesting. That in that when I was doing that, because you know the stories were really really linked. What I did was I took. The, one of the last chapters from Enemy at the Gates, which was told from a character named Mike Nash's point of view, and I rewrote it to be from Mitch's point of view, and that starts the book. So there's no time gap between those books. One, In fact, the opposite is true. The Oath of Loyalty starts like a day before. <laughs> and uh, because I wanted to start that story with all the backstory and knowing what was yeah, everybody remembering what was happening and then moving forward and to, to, to bring the camera in a little bit and make it much more of a personal battle between the president of the United States and Mitch, because again, you've got really weird political stuff here in that Mitch, I don't think would ever say, you know, Anthony Cook is a bad guy. I've got to take him out. He's bad for America because Mitch, you know, believes in democracy and Anthony Cook got elected. So, you know, there's this trend in the United States, people saying, oh, well, he's not my president, whatever, you know, it's not, Barack Obama's not my president or Trump's not my president, but they are, you know, that's, <laughs> right. the, that's the crappy part of democracy. Sometimes your guy loses. So... Um, you know, I rooted equally hard for Barack Obama and Donald Trump, you know, to do well and to make America, you know, stronger and more prosperous sure. and all these things. But that's not the way a lot of people think. So um, Mitch would never do that. Uh, however, this is much more of a personal thing. You know, Anthony Cook attacks him personally and then he doesn't see him as the president anymore. He just sees him as an enemy. It, it's so funny because at the beginning of, of uh, Oath of Loyalty, um, they're kind of pulled into their into their respective corners and um, and and being separated by Irene Kennedy, um, like 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 two children having to be separated uh, <laughs> almost, which which just kind of struck me as funny. I, I don't know, maybe I'm surrounded by little kids and I, I just saw the the humor in that. Um, I think Irene Kennedy would it would 100% agree with that <laughs> analogy. Oh, what what was it like to to construct that part of the story? Um, you know, where, where did that idea come from? Yeah, just the, very much the idea that I wanted to pull the politics out of it because the first book had been, you know, very politically driven, um, and then I had to turn that corner and wanted to bring that focus in a little bit more on the two men and their their motivations, and then Mitch thinking about, you know, I mean, Mitch is getting older. I don't age him like Vince did, but he still has to evolve, and thinking about the way the world is now and what his role in it is because you can't, you know, he's a guy with a Glock and that's super, you know, effective in certain, in certain realms, but, you know, not against say, you know, bad politics, you know, politics and stuff or the internal politics of in the United States. So he's, he's trying to, to find his place in the new world 
which is very different than the one Vince left him in. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, Vince hasn't been dead that long, but the world has changed. The United States has changed. A hundred percent. When you do realize that some things that that you're thinking about um, are are actually taking place in the real world and and you um, have to think, okay, how do I handle this? Do I um, uh, do I just, you know, go full in and then, you know, see where the where the where the cards fall? Um, Or is there ever uh, is there ever a temptation to sort of play out a real world scenario in the book? To, to see if you could solve the problem, if that makes sense. Or is that not the job of a novelist at all? And, uh, like, it, do you ever find yourself, you know, like, like how could we unravel this? What, what would, what would a, a good ending to this scenario be? Oh, man, that would be challenging. In fact, I, I feel like Vince was going, was going in that direction in one of his books, um, Consent to Kill. And he was talking about how Mitch was going to kind of rework how the uh, how the intelligence community uh, functions and all this stuff. And that subplot kind of petered out because, and I'm convinced it's because once you really dig into it, you think, oh my God, this is kind of insurmountable. I mean, there's so many moving parts and so many problems. And, you know, and human nature goes into all of it. So, I mean, I have, I do love exploring that. I mean, like my first book was about a guy who started dumping poison into the U.S. narcotics supply because he thought it would stop the drug, you know, uh, people from using narcotics. And it was kind of this final solution. So those things are fun to do. But, you know, with Mitch, he's, I don't know, he's much more satisfied working in a situation in which, you know, there's a, a clear enemy. It's good versus evil, you know, pretty clearly delineated. And then he can solve the problem, you know, by frankly killing the, the, the evil per- people uh, as opposed to kind of these very grand Ludlam-esque sort of, uh, sort of things. Um, the, the shadowy group that, uh, that is, uh, the antagonist uh in a lot of ways in the story um with the with the double blind um secrecy uh it, was that informed by any real world um occurrence or group not really i think what i needed was a killer a contract killer who mitch wouldn't be sure he could handle and so that's a really hard thing to do if you think, because Mitch is, you know, the best in the world at what he does. Right. There was a guy in the past named Grisha Azarov, who makes a brief appearance in this book, who was very close to being his equal, but, but you can't really get much better than him. So what I had to do was create a killer that worked, that was the anti-Mitch rap, just didn't work anything like him didn't have any of the same attitudes or, or, or systems or anything so that he couldn't, you know, he couldn't counteract them by being better because they're so different. And so it, I wanted to feel like very much a real threat, you know, cause while, while you say, 
I mean, spoiler alert, so everybody should plug their ears here. But the Cla because Claudia is not Mitch Rapp, she's expendable in the series. Right. But you have no idea what's going to happen to her, and I won't say what happens to her, but there's there's a very real danger that you know this shadowy group could succeed in killing her and Mitch couldn't do anything about it because they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna come in with guns blazing. Yeah. Well, spoilers, um, you know, we'll, we'll stop uh, tiptoeing into spoiler area and uh, let folks grab the book and read it for themselves. When you're hearing this, uh, Oath of Loyalty will be available everywhere. You can grab it in Kindle edition or hardcover uh, or audiobooks. Uh, Vince, do you ever listen to the audiobooks of your books? I've listened to parts of them just to kind of hear George do it. Yeah. Uh, and get that sound in my head, but I don't really do much in the, in the audio book. I'm, I'm definitely a person that likes to sit there on the read on the, on the page. Yeah. Do, do you ever find, um, when you hear George's interpretation of the book, that does that seep into your head? Do you start hearing characters, uh, like the way he portrays them? Not really, because I've been reading Vince for so long. <laughs> you know, I mean, since the beginning, really. Uh, yeah. And so once you get that voice in your head, I don't think anything can dislodge it. It's really one of the problems that you have with audiobooks is that, you know, if an audiobook reader decides they don't want to do it anymore, or they retire or whatever, and somebody has to take it over, it's yeah. really jarring to readers because... You know, they're like, well, that's a guy's a great reader, but that's not Rich Rapp's voice. Yeah. Oath of Loyalty available everywhere when you're hearing this. If you haven't picked up Enemy at the Gates as well, go grab that. Uh, read them in one sitting if you can, or at least in one uh, in, in, in one uh, you know, concurrently so, or, or back to back. Um they they really need to be digested as one. Um, I love the book, uh, Kyle. As always, um, love what you're doing. Uh, tell folks where they can find you online if they're not familiar with your work. Yeah, at Kyle Mills Author, and that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, so, and then you know you you can reach out to me via email through my website too, if you like. Excellent. We'll link all that up to make it easy for folks to find you. Um, Kyle, so good to catch up again. Thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. Oh, my, always my pleasure.